Okay, wait, this is the remix. The legal lens is back at it again with Angela Red Eye Right. Go tell a friend. Unions in the labor movement, employment law and doing the right thing. Reparations in COVID 19, voting rights. The insight is priceless. Can't be a late talk. You know we got it. Come on, let's go. It's time for the legal lens show. Come on, let's go. It's time for the legal lens show. Come on, let's go. It's time for the legal lens show. Come on, let's go. It's time for the legal lens. It's time for the legal lens. Mix. Go, 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 go. Yes, yes, it is time for the Legal Lens Show with Angela Redock Wright. And I am so excited. It is the first weekend of January 2023. And let me tell you, we are on fire. We are excited about this year ahead. And we have some great shows planned for you. Habari Ghani, KBLA Talk 1580 listeners. That is, for those of you who don't know, Swahili for what is the good news. And we just finished celebrating the holiday season, Christmas, New Year, and Kwanzaa and each day of Kwanzaa and each greeting in Kwanzaa starts with Habari Ghani. What is the good news? And I hope you, our KBLA Talk 1580 listeners, have some good news. Although I just heard a little sad news, but I'm excited for her. If you were listening to the show before mine uh, with the Reva Martin out loud, um, she just announced that this is her last show on KBLA Talk 1580. So sad. It was always such a pleasure for me to see Reva in studio to catch up with her and to listen to her shows. I was one of her big listeners. She always had great guests on. So, Ariva, if you're listening, I just want to say thank you for being a part of our, our KBLA Talk 1580 family. You contributed so much, and I just appreciate you for your friendship, your colleagueship, and just for being you know, a fellow host here on KBLA Talk 1580. And she didn't tell us what's up next, but if you know Ariva, you know something great is in the works. So I am looking forward to seeing what her next is. And congratulations in Ariva in advance. And we just applaud you and thank you for all you've done here at KBLA Talk 1580. Um, Happy New Year to each of you. Um, Again, it's the first weekend of January, and I hope your New Year is off to a great start. And I hope you had a chance to refresh and to relax and to catch your breath and to, you know, reflect on the last year and to think about what this new year means for you. The great thing about the new year is it gives us an opportunity for new beginnings, a fresh start. And I just hope that um, you're taking all of that in and that your new year is off to a great start so far. Um, they're saying January t- 2023 that that's the Jordan year. Every, I see on my social media, everybody's like, it's my Jordan year. It's my Jordan year, number 23. So that means um, so many of us are looking forward to a year of greatness because, of course, Michael Jordan is a GOAT, one of the greatest of all times. And so we accept that this year is our Jordan year. We are broadcasting to you live from Lamert Park, um, USA, part of the famous Crenshaw District. And I'd like to thank J-Star for um, our Legal Lens Jingle Remix, um, my, the engineer for the show, Odell. 
he was playing the, the song this morning and he's like, okay, you ready to come in? I was like, no, I need a little bit more of that music because it really gets me going. So thank you, J-Star, for our legal, legal Lens jingle. And you can follow her at J-Star Music on Instagram and see all the great projects she's working on. And thank you to our listeners and for your support in 2022. We celebrated our one-year anniversary in October 2022. And we just, we could not have made it this far and into the new year without you, our valued and our faithful listeners. And so we want, I want to personally thank you and ask you to continue going with me on this journey. Um, As I stated, my team and I, we took some time off during the holidays to just regroup, to refresh, and to envision the show for 2023. And I promise you, we have some great shows lined up for you. We have some great concepts and great potential guests in the works. And so we're excited and we ask you to, to continue this journey with us and to follow us on social media throughout the week and to share with us your ideas about the shows, um, ideas for new shows, um, and to follow some of the other work um, um, we're doing. Um, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at I am Angela Redock Wright. I am Angela Redock Wright and on LinkedIn at Angela Redock Wright. And um, you can follow KBLA on all socials as well throughout the week. So stay tuned with us and listen to what both the station and what I personally have going on because we need you and we appreciate you being a part of our KBLA Talk 1580 journey. Um, We have a great show lined up for you today. I'm excited about our guest. She's someone that I met over a year ago. We were both on News Nation um, serving as legal commentators. She continues to commentate regularly in the news, um, in particular about law enforcement and police reform issues. And that is none other than Sunetta Sunny Slaughter. We call her Sunny. And um, Sunny is someone, when I first met her, we just knew we would become lifelong friends and colleagues. And I've enjoyed getting to know her this past year. Um, but Lucky for me and lucky for you all, we happen. I happen to develop a friendship with someone who is one of the most noted uh, police reform and law enforcement reform experts in the country. Just this week, she was all over law and crime, commenting on the Idaho college murder cases. And so today she's going to give us some insights about that case and about some of the things that have happened in the last two years around police and law enforcement reform. And she's going to talk about what we can anticipate in 2023. So I promise you, you do not want to miss this conversation with Sunny Slaughter. She is amazing. Her energy is great. And she's really going to share with us some gems. Before we bring Sunny in and before we come forward, um, just let me share with you a couple of you know things from history that we can appreciate, particularly from legal history, January 4th, 1971, the Congressional Black Caucus was organized. And um, we all know that this week has been a, a whirlwind of a week in our United States Congress. And finally, they have elected a Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. And so the Black Caucus is a part of the Congress. They are 58 members um, who, African American members of Congress, who um, are committed to working on issues that impact the African American and other marginalized communities. This year, they have nine new members to the caucus, um, including our very own, own Sydney Comager here from California, from Los Angeles, has its first Gen Z member elected to Congress that's a part of the caucus. 
its first Afro-Cuban member and the first African-American woman elected from the state of Pennsylvania. The current chair of the caucus is Stephen Horsforth from Nevada, a Democrat from Nevada. Also, January 6, 1869, uh, John M. Langston founded the law school at Howard University, and they had their first class on January 6, 1869. And just a couple of birthday shout outs. We have Zora Neale Hurston, author. She was born January 7, 1891. And Fannie M. Jackson, who is an educator and the first black woman college graduate in the United States, was born January 8, 1836. So that's some little tidbits for you from our history and birthdays and we thank you for tuning in to kbla talk 1580 you can listen to us anywhere on the go download the app tell alexa to play her listen to her on your am dial if you're in los angeles but we have a great show planned for you with sunetta sunny slaughter top police reform and law reform expert coming up next um, as we come forward stay tuned you don't want to miss this show you're tuned into KBLA Talk 1580. This is Legal Lens with Angela. Welcome back to KBLA Talk 1580. This is the Legal Lens Show with Angela Redock Wright. Happy New Year, folks. So glad to have you join us. And that song, oh my gosh, that song speaks to my soul. It is called Lift Me Up by Rihanna. And for those of you who've seen Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever, um, that was part of the soundtrack. And when I saw that movie and I heard that song, I just knew that would become one of my top favorite songs of the year, if not forever. So thank you, Rihanna, for the, for your contributions to the Black Panther soundtrack and for that song, Lift Me Up. And what a perfect way to start our show, our first show for the new year. Our guest is Sunetta Sunny Slaughter. She is a top police reform and law reform expert, nationally known, and I'm just happy to have her on our show. She's also a DEI consultant as it relates to law enforcement and police reform. She has been called the Olivia Pope of Crime and Policy and the Master Connector with over 35 years of experience. And like I said in the first segment of the show, if you've like, I know that name, I've seen this face. Well, you have because she is a regular on Newsy and um, other news channels. And in particular this week, she was on Law and Crime several times discussing the Idaho um, college murder. So please help me welcome Sunny Slaughter. How are you this morning, Sunny? Angela. Red Ock Rice, my friend, the expert. I am doing well and so honored to be with you today and to help kick off the year with your amazing show. Thank you for the invitation and the opportunity. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. And I know we tried to get you last year, um, but being the busy expert that you are, you weren't um, available at that time. So when I um, sent you a note saying, hey, Sonny, would you be available for my first show of the new year? I was so excited when you said yes. And I can't think of a better way to start the new year on with a, a great guest such as yourself, but also in a topic that's so important that's never Never, you know, not in the news, never not a topic that we we should be discussing. So thank you so much. How's your new year going so far? It is uh, going well, uh, very inundated, but I am blessed and so excited about all of the conversations and opportunities that are coming my way and particularly being able to be on your show and be with you uh, has been 
something that I've been looking forward to all week since you sent me the message. And I was like, you have got to be kidding. I'm actually going to get on the show. So um, things have started out very, very busy in the world of policing and crime and uh, the opportunity to weigh in and provide insight and perspective on really high-profile cases, critical um, things that are happening in the news, and give some perspective around processes for in policing and law enforcement that the public rarely understands. Mm-hmm. So um, this is exciting for me. Well, good, good. This is this is your time, Sunny. I, I really believe that and that your knowledge and your expertise is going to be on the forefront of the news and podcasts and, and so many other things. So, but um, I had a chance to start to get to know you and looking forward to getting to know you better. But um, for many of our listeners who, uh, many of whom are based here in Los Angeles and also around the country, by the way, we got our statistics for who listens to our show and we we actually have international and listeners as well as listeners from the around the country as well as our Los Angeles base. So we we especially thank you all. But for those who are just getting to know you, Sunny, tell us a little bit more about yourself. How did you get into this work of police reform and law enforcement? Um, well, thank you. And I would like to say hello to your listeners, and I love California. I actually used to live there in San Diego for several years, but I am originally from uh, Trenton, New Jersey, and at the age of 16, I had the um, unorthodox but very um, important opportunity. I became the first and youngest African-American to work for the New Jersey Attorney General's Office for the Division of Gaming Enforcement. Okay. And gaming, during gaming, that, um, gaming, like hunting. Casino gaming. Oh, gaming, yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> gaming, casino operations, and all things um, as it relates to organized crime mm-hmm. and what was happening in, in, you know, casinos at the time across the country and, and uh, criminal behavior. So that's how I kind of started out. Mm-hmm. And uh, the progression for becoming the law enforcement expert really happened when um, several decades ago when I decided to take a course from the Department of Homeland Security on uh, becoming a domestic violence instructor. Mm -hmm. I was the state coordinator for um, a national initiative for the state of Alabama uh, where you are also from, and I have lived off and on for 30 years. Yes. And Birmingham uh, sisters. The, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I took the DHS domestic violence instructor program, and I was handpicked from class by the instructor who actually designed the program, launching me into a very unique uh, career and opportunity to become a federally certified law enforcement instructor and taking courses and classes across a broad spectrum, including being one of the first non-sworn and very few individuals authorized and allowed to take the Drug Task Force Supervisor School and the Hate and Bias Crimes course for sworn law enforcement only. Wow. So in Birmingham, Alabama, at the DEA building, you know, I kind of signed up for a class. Mm -hmm. Uh, I knew I wanted to do it, didn't read it finally, and it said sworn law enforcement only. But when I went to the building, 
they wanted to know, okay, now who are you? Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) And uh, so I told them who I was and my supervisor. And and instead of turning me away, they said, well, wait, because we're going to have to get approval because this is not for civilians. Mm -hmm. And, um, but they made several phone calls. I waited and I wound up being the only non-sworn person, Mm -hmm. the only female and the only, not only person of color, but only African-American in the entire class of 32 white men. And in uh, Alabama, in (laughs) Alabama. Right. And, We have to, you know, at the end of our classes, we had to do some special training. And I was the person known as command. I led the operational training for our final exercise involving um, uh, a hostage, a simulated hostage situation. Oh, wow. So, yeah. They brought the big guns and I brought the uh, enforcement and the leadership to the table. Wow. Well, gosh, your story is a story for we could do a whole show on favor yeah. and kind of doing something that you didn't necessarily anticipate doing. Doesn't sound like you set out in life to be in a part of law enforcement, but it came your way and now you are passionate about it and love it. I wanted to be a lawyer specializing in medical malpractice. Oh, really? That was always my thing. Yeah. Okay. Yes. It's not too late. You can still do it, but uh, uh, no, that's okay. My work so the bulk of my work, so your audience will understand, because it's um, it, it's not uniquely defined by what others uh, would say would be ordinary. So I specialize and focus on public safety, mm-hmm. public health, and public relations, and all of that on behalf of the people. So everything I do is focused on what is in best interest, what is in the best interest of the people, and how it impacts the diversity of people in very unique ways. So the law enforcement training, the consulting, the engagement, and actually being on the scene and on the ground, that has mattered. The public health lens, uh, because I've done a lot of work in public health and uh, writing policy. Uh, I was the former, well, I should say I am the former co-chair of the Violence as a Public Health Issue Committee for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services for the eight states in the southeast region of the country. So I've done a lot of work that way, and then the whole public relations background. Okay, It's all about the people. Right, right. I love that. That's that's your life's mission and your life's work. So you're based in D.C. right now, um, right? Yeah. Washington, yes, D.C. Yes, I am. And just to yeah. give our listeners just even a little more fine-tuned insight as it relates to your work in, in connection with police and law enforcement reform, what you're hired to do what in that area? I know sometimes you serve as an expert in lawsuit and litigation. Um, you yes. do consulting with um, police departments or law enforcement departments around the country. Just give us a little more insight so we have context for our discussion. Yes. Thank you so much for that question. So one of the things that I focus a lot on is uh, engaging and training law enforcement around how to work on particular uh, issues and, and what they should be doing and what they should not be doing. I am a crimes against persons 
experts. Okay. So some of my specialty focuses around human trafficking, sex crimes, child pornography, and the very hard topics. So I go in and I train and provide training and consulting with police departments and law enforcement agencies on uh, criminal behavior and victimization and how to work with the diversity of uh people that they will come in contact with. And last year, I kicked off a very unique training program that I developed called CRI to focus on the culture, relations, inclusion, equity, and diversity that is necessary for law enforcement departments across the country and how they engage the public, how they're responding, how they're responding, how responsive they should be, and about building collaborative partnerships. So for our conversation today, when we talk about police reform, I've been working on these issues, and what I have found is that the disconnect between policing in America and the public is so vast, we have to get a hold on things. And when the public hears uh, police reform, they think that the passing of a bill is the answer, and the processes actually don't always play out in real life when it comes to accountability because there are 18,000, approximately 18,000 law enforcement agencies mm. across the United States of America. Okay. That is not just police departments, but in police, when you think about police accountability, accountability, what that looks like, because you're thinking about size, location, how policing happens. And while we, the umbrella of policing is federal and large, policing is very local and very intentional. So you have police departments, they can be sheriff's departments, just police uh, police departments, police campus, law enforcement. Mm -hmm. You have the size of the department, the training of the department, the funding of the department, the racial and gender and ethnic accountability at, a, at departments. So police reform is a large word that doesn't always match up to what you see happening. There is... Um, there's a lot that does that comes into play mm -hmm. that people don't take into the lens when you think about policing and what that looks like in real life. Right, right. Well, you raised some really interesting points. And I know in our, our pre-discussion for the show on this issue of police accountability, you said that. Um, people don't often ask the right questions, like those of us who are civilians and, you know, working to challenge the system and encourage reforms. You said there's a disconnect, as you just said, in terms of what actually the laws that are passed, but what happens on the ground. What kind of the people that listen to KBLA Talk 1580 are people who are on the ground, who are asking questions, who are advocating um, generally in their, their local communities. What are the questions we should be asking when we talk about police reform and, and accountability? That's a great question. Mm -hmm. So when you think about what is happening in policing in your communities, uh, most of the times a lot of reform has focused on the murder, unfortunate murder of George Floyd, okay. right? Mm -hmm. But the importance of what you should be asking is, and, and then everyone always goes to police training. Like if there's an uh, what we call an 
OIS, an officer-involved shooting, mm-hmm. if there is a uh, police brutality case, people immediately focus on training, even elected officials. They say, well, we need more training. The question that you should, that the public should be asking is not just about training, but actually who is doing the training. Right. That is the most important question that should be asked, because in the profession of policing, the person that actually does the training, the people that are hired, the people that are in place, the consulting firms, the agencies and the entities, all of that matters because what they bring to the table in terms of their lens, their language and their understanding of the law for that particular community all matters. Pause right there, Sunny. Who should be doing the training? We're going to pick up from there following this as we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Thank you for continuing with us on KBLA Talk 1580. This is the Legal Lens Show with Angela Redock Wright, and that is Jack Ross with So Into You. (laughs) Yes. And that's our guest in the background, Sunny Slaughter. We often ask our guests, um, because we love playing music on our show, um, and we often ask our guests who are some of your favorite artists or songs. And you'll see as we continue forward that Sunny has given us some great artists that I actually had not heard of. So thank you, Sunny, for introducing me to some new artists. Um, Jack Ross. So, uh, Sunny, you had a, a reaction to that song. That's one of your favorites, huh? <laughs> It is absolutely one of my favorites. It's a remix of Tamiya, but there is something about the way he does it that I, I'm always in my house jamming. Right. And I love how your show asks about music because in this work, in this line of work, mm-hmm. music is what I need to come down off of the trauma and, you know, kind of relax. Yeah, you are working on some really challenging issues. And if that's all you focus on and you don't have an outlet, um, whether it be music, family, activities, hobbies, etc., I can imagine it can be depressing at times. Um, So, yes, thank you for sharing your song list with us. So right before we came forward, um, and and Sunny, you'll know, notice, and our listeners, that at KBLA Talk 1580, we use words like come forward. We don't say we're happy to be back or when we come back Mm -hmm. because we believe in forward thinking and projecting uh, positivity into the future. So for those of you who wonder why we say, use the word come forward, that's why, because um, we believe very much in this idea of moving forward. So uh, before we came forward, Sunny, um, you were telling us that in this conversation, this big conversation around law enforcement, police reform, Those of us who are in the community, on the ground, advocating, fighting for these issues, that we often, while we have good intent, we don't often ask the right questions when we are going to those police oversight meetings and community meetings. And one of the questions you said we need to ask is, who is doing the training? Um, What are maybe one or two other questions that we should ask for those of us who care about these issues? And what does account well one of the other questions is what does accountability accountability actually look like? Right. Like what are the steps? Because um the difference between a policy in place 
and the practice that actually happens is where confusion often comes in. Mm-hmm. Because people say, well, we have a policy. This is this is based on the policy. Okay. And, and one of the things I talk about, um, because I spend a lot of time with law enforcement leaders, I said, okay, that sounds good, but tell me what your practice is. Mm-hmm. What are you actually doing? Because right. those two often don't line up, and that, that's some of the questions. And the other thing that's really important is to discuss the ways in which the community are part of the process. Mm, mm-hmm. Law enforcement, there's a law enforcement process, and then there's a criminal justice process, and then there's the expectation of the people. Mm-hmm. None of those line up. There is often conflict, and you know as an attorney, where it requires um, mediation, conflict between the practice of policing and the criminal justice system. So we expect when law enforcement officers and law enforcement professionals, because that's a very broad term, um, and policing by profession means those behind the badge and those behind the walls. Because policing does not start or end with just the person that you encounter out in the public. So when the public thinks about what policing accountability looks like, the question is not just about those that they see in the streets and, um, you know, in the police officers in the uniform. Mm-hmm. Policing has to do with what does 911 look like? What is the training? How many for 911 uh, dispatchers? How often are they trained? What does that look like? How are they working together? Um, I, in my leadership class, I have those behind the badge and behind the wall. Mm-hmm. So I have a mix of individuals. I have people from body-worn camera that, that do the body-worn cameras. I have those from uh, internal affairs. I even have HR individuals in my classes. I have people based on rank, so from the very highest person uh, in the rank and file Mm -hmm. to those that are in leadership positions across the department. That looks different than what people think. And I ask the question, if there's conflict in the community, you can be assured that there's often conflict within the culture of policing. Wow. You hit the nail on the head there. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, And those are issues that the public doesn't think about because they don't see. They're just looking at the police officer. So what kind of services um, are police officers receiving? If there's an officer-involved shooting, the question that the public should ask, what is the process for the investigation involving the officer, but then also how long do you keep them out of rotation and what services they do they receive before they are allowed back on to the street? Wow. Because that matters. These are, are critical questions, and you're right, definitely need to be the cornerstone of the types of questions we ask when we're advocating and fighting for justice in these particular instances. Let's use that to kind of turn the corner a little bit. So my big question, Sunny, is with all the training, with all the reform efforts, why do we still continue to see um, the level of brutality and killings and substantially bodily bodily harm that we see? Um, I was able to pull up some statistics um, prior to the show, and they show that as of December 2000, 
the December 20th, 2022, that the U.S. police had shot 1,060 people to death in 2022. And that's actually up slightly from 2021, where there were 1,055 people shot um, by um, by to death by police. And even before that, going all the way back to 2017, it was only 985 in 2018, 992. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say only every life matters. So even those numbers are high. But with all the re- reform efforts, and a training, why are the numbers going up still? COVID um, really put everyone in a different type of crisis. Mm -hmm. And um, when you think about how law enforcement are engaging the public, the culture of policing is very racially, uh, it is not racially diverse. That's what I should say. Mm -hmm. Uh, We having more conversations about who's policing in communities and the culture of policing is very important and how people are now responding is not the same. That's why you have to ask a lot of questions. There are far too many in police encounters and I also follow them because I also in my litigation work, I'm reviewing what processes look like sometimes in murders, and I get clips from individuals where police are physically violent. Uh, One involved a police officer in New York who was beating uh, a young black girl in her head, and people were crowded around trying to get this officer off of this young girl. But violence perpetrated by police can be racial, and it can be with uh, someone of the same race. This has to do with who should be in uniform and who should not, Mm. and how we get officers um, who should not be in uh, uniform and operating in our communities off, which is one of the segments that you did uh, with uh, one of your guests about California. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And and the bill, the uh, Senate bill, state Senate bill, SB2, I believe it was. Right. And and when I was, you know, focused on the conversation and the state senator talking about the work that went into it, I also heard what he said about it being watered down. So the bill was passed. A lot of things that was necessary for public safety, according to um the attorney, uh, uh, attorney D. Simone, I believe it Jim is. Jim D. Simone, uh, right. What he was saying, you, you know, it is actually correct. And that is what happens that things get passed, then they get watered down. But the passage of legislation is good legislation, and we have to keep. Uh, going forward, I, I really like the way you, you talk about that on your show. Moving forward, moving, continue, even when there's friction and conflict and things don't seem to be working, reform is about moving forward because the goalpost continues to move. So we're trying to play catch up, but we cannot stop at the passage because the implementation is what matters. And the implementation has to happen in every single police department and the public has to know what questions to ask 
in order to hold them accountable Indeed. for the passage of a letter legislation. Yes, and speaking of legislation, when we come forward, I'd like to touch on the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act of 2021 and the implications of that. So stay tuned with us. And that is Cross the Line with Anthony Chapman. Thank you for continuing with us on the Legal Lens Show on KBLA Talk 1580. We are talking with nationally recognized law enforcement and police reform expert Sunny Slaughter. And that song also was recommended by her. Thank you, Sunny. I didn't know about Anthony Chapman, so I look forward to getting to know him better. And that song is also based on um, from a popular show yeah. that everybody's <laughs> watching, Reasonable Doubt. <laughs> Yes, my, one of my favorite shows. Yes, yeah. yes. So, Sunny, um, you've given us some great gems and thoughts related to the kinds of questions we should be asking as it relates to police, law enforcement reform, and police accountability. One of the major um, acts passed at the federal level, level is the George Floyd um, Justice in Policing Act of 2021. Tell us, give us a high-level overview of that, and is it going to move the needle at all? Uh, it won't move the needle. Oh my goodness. (laughs) It won't move. I didn't mean to sound so crass, but it won't move the needle and and make any changes if police departments actually don't do the work and if communities don't hold them accountable and actually understand what um, the act really is, like the banning of no-knock warrants in, in federal drug cases and how uh, no-knock warrants are uh, effectuated. And, um, the, the That's the Breonna Taylor them, case, right? Yes, mm-hmm. and, and, and what that looks like, that was very, very bad policing. That was very bad intel, and how we hold account- people accountable for that really matters, which um, – and – a court and the no knock warrant in the Brianna Taylor case actually intersected qualified immunity, which is why you didn't see the type of prosecution that people wanted to see in in that particular case. And you know the dis- prohibiting racial, religious, and discriminatory profiling that should be an automatic. Dis- so people have to ask the question. Who are the officers in the community? Mm-hmm. What do they look like? What is the cultural competency of them? Who is doing the training? All of those things matter. Uh, there are not a lot of uh, officers or trainers in front of law enforcement professionals that have diversity of lens, thought, perspective, uh, religion, and cultural competency. So all of those things matter. Uh, it, it talks about also creating a national police misconduct registry. Mm. Well, actually, that was created in 1994 mm. and signed by Bill Clinton. Um, that was, so this is not new. It is something that it, it's all not necessarily about how people create things, but do they actually do them, I, I should say. Right, um, right. More importantly, I, I know we're going to wrap up soon, and I want to get this out. It is very important for the community to become more involved, not in the hype and the rhetoric and the commentary of what people hear and see, you know, buzzwords like qualified immunity. Mm -hmm. Let's start breaking those down to what that looks like for each community so the public can really understand I believe that we need to start building more collaborative partnerships between law enforcement and public health professionals and community people. I'm talking about real stakeholders. So when you have, uh, so we can have 
investigations around pattern and practice, which is another buzzword. And those are investigations into police behavior mm. and accountability. When you get these these panels together, mm-hmm. they are often uh, include people from the public that are high profile, that have a particular lens, you know, not mm-hmm. just the ordinary citizen. Right. So we right. have to stop yelling and screaming and communicating in a way and holding classes. I think it's really important to teach people how to engage in public discourse mm-hmm. around public safety as opposed to uh, just going off of what they think and right. see and hear that is not the reality. I love that idea. And you mentioned earlier that there are 18,000 law enforcement agencies across the country. I should also mention that there are 800,000 sworn law enforcement officers now serving in the U.S. And um, since the first recorded police death in 1786, there have been 23,000 law enforcement officers killed in the line of duty. So we know there's another side to this conversation as well. Please stay with us as we continue forward. And that is Bad Girl by Usher, another favorite of our guest today, Sunny Slaughter. Sunny, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm sorry we're running out of time. Definitely want to bring you back to talk about the Idaho murder cases, the profile of a murder, I think I'm going to call that show. So we'll kind of bring you back in a few weeks here. Um, but what our mayor, our new mayor, Karen Bass, um, one yeah. of her her new her challenges is to think about whether continuing with our current chief of police what one piece of advice would you give to her as she considers this question i would um congratulations to uh mayor bass as well i would think that the mayor would focus on the uh 30 by 30 initiative about increasing the number of women in policing women have a different lens language and uh body a style for engagement with the public, and that would be to the, her benefit. It is something that I support, and uh, who's policing, how they're policing, and who's asking the questions, and all of those things Thank matter. Thank you, Sunny, Thanks. and you can follow Sunny at I am the Sunny Slaughter, and catch her on shows like Law and Crime. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Legal Lens Show with Angela. Please join us next week, and up next we have the fabulous Cassie Banks with Talk Tech to Me. In the words of Zora Neale Hurston, one of our birthdays this week, life is the flower for which love is the honey. Show some love, folks, and give some honey um, through the love that you show. Same bat time, same bat channel next week. This is the Legal Lens Show with Angela signing off.